The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'm glad you're here tonight, and I'm glad we have an opportunity to continue our, our, our thoughts on right thinking. And uh, I enjoyed this morning's message. I, I enjoyed preparing this morning's message. Um, every day at my lunch break, I, I go for a walk. And I walk the same path every day. And it takes me about 35 minutes to walk that path. And uh, I walk and I pray and I think about the messages I'm going to preach. And uh, th- this morning's message and tonight's message I've preached countless times, walking down that path and uh, putting it together. And, and really, I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the lessons that the Lord taught me. This morning, we talked about the mind of Christ. And we discussed what the Bible describes as the mind of Christ. And I was so, I was, I was so changed in my, in my heart and thinking by contemplating those verses and thinking about those verses and and, and seeing that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He, he was the King of kings. He was the Lord of lords. At his word, men lived. And at his word, men die. Yet, he put all of that aside so he could do the will of the Father. And I thought many times walking that path, oh, how, how much I need to learn about acknowledging the will of God and about giving myself to the will of God. If Jesus, God, in the, God, the very God himself, can come to earth, and he can, he can lay everything aside to, to acknowledge, and acknowledge the Father's will, then, then I should be able to do that too. And we saw this morning how he accepted the difficult path that God gave him to walk. I don't know if I could walk that path. I don't know if I could walk the path that Jesus walked taking the hatred, taking the, the reviling, taking the beatings, taking the scourgings, and being crucified. And, oh, I, I, just, I just don't think I could do that. But I did determine that in that time that if, if Jesus can do all of that, then I can certainly endure the hardships that I face in this life to walk the path that God has set before me, to glorify Him, not to benefit me, and, and also the fact that Jesus accomplished the work of the Father. The words he cried out on the cross, it is finished. I said this morning, I wish I could stand and say that. I wish I could look at the Lord and say, Father, everything you've ever asked me to do, I've done. But I can't do that. But I can certainly strive to live that way. I can, I can face every day with the determination to do the things that God has given me to do that day. And that's how we need to approach life. Now tonight I, I want to continue this theme on right attitudes, right thinkings, as it pertains to the will and purpose of God. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll read verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I want to stop there for just a moment and 
and, and pay attention to the fact that Paul said he was an apostle by the will of God. You know, none of us here tonight are here because we want to be here. We're here because of the will of God. You and I are, are, are saved. We are children of God by God's will, not, not by our own merit. Now, once we were saved, yes, we want to be in church. I, I remember once I got saved, I wanted to be in church. I, I wanted to go to church. You see, for the last 35 years, I didn't have to go to church. When I was a little boy, my mama would make me go to church. Whether I wanted to or not, she'd make me go. But you know, once I got saved, I'm not here tonight or for the last 35 years on Sundays. I'm not in church because I have to be there. I'm there because I want to be there. I don't want to be any other place tonight. I'd rather be in the pew and one of you up here. But other than that, I don't want to be any other place tonight. And Paul said that. He said, by the will of God, uh, as the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here, I want you to notice that. All that Paul just mentioned was all according to the good pleasure of God's will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded to, toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. There we see the will of God, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And here in this passage, in this section of scripture, we see Paul constantly uh, reminding us what we have according to God's will, and that what we do have is according to, the good, to his pleasure and to his purpose. And that's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand our salvation is according to God's will and purpose. And the strength that we receive and the blessings that we receive from God every day are for his will and his purpose. Okay, now let's, let's look together, if you would, at Romans chapter 8. Just flip over a few pages to Romans chapter 8. And I'll begin reading at verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray before we go on anymore. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that we have. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation that we enjoy tonight. And Lord, help us tonight to have the right attitude, the right thinking concerning your will and purpose in our lives. Help us tonight not to err and, and believe that we are the focus of everything that you do. For Lord, uh, we are tools in your hand. And your purpose is to glorify yourself. So help us to see our part in this, in this matter of your will and purpose. And help us tonight to have the right attitude in this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My focus tonight is on Romans 8.28. Here we are told that all things work together for good. And it is this word good that I want to to discuss tonight. Good is a subjective term. It is subject to the opinions of the individual. Uh, Now we all understand that scripture is never translated subjectively. It is always translated definitively. I said good is a subjective term. What I consider good, you may not. And what you consider to be good, I may not. So we, we certainly can come to this term good and, and use it as the, as the um, prosperity-driven generations of today use it. Uh, to, to teach their people that don't worry, no matter what you're going through right now, God's going to work it out for your good. Is that, is that true? Because if that's true, then we all need to jump on board that bandwagon, right? But if that's not true, then we need to find out what God is talking about here in his word when he says, for we know that all things work together for good. Good is a is a term that cannot be applied to the individual. Because what is good to me may not be good to you. Therefore, I must come to the conclusion that this term good is applied to the will and purpose of God. Because actually the context of this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8 is talking about God's will and God's purpose in our lives. In other words, we could paraphrase this verse this way. We know that all things in the life of the believer work out according to the will and purpose of God. We know that all things in the life of the believer work out according to the will and purpose of God. Now this takes that verse out of the realm of the subjective and places it into the realm of the definitive. It also dispels the opinion that everything revolves around my personal happiness and well-being. It is historically evident that things do not always work out in this life for an individual's happiness 
and well-being, right? History proves that. If we were to fall victim to the philosophy of the prosperity-driven doctrines of today, then we would set ourselves up for great disappointment. I've, I've come across many believers and heard many believers in the last 35 years tell me that they know that everything is going to be okay because God promised to work it out for us in His Word. And that philosophy is leading them right into a head-on collision with a semi-truck. Now, while it is certainly true that sometimes the events of our life end up well, right? I mean, sometimes the hardships we face and the things we go through, sometimes they, they work out okay. But this verse doesn't guarantee that they will. I mean, sometimes they work out okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, it worked out okay for them, right? They were thrown into the furnace, and they came out alive. Uh, Joseph. Joseph was, was taken prisoner by his brothers. He was sold in the, into slavery. And, and in the end, it all worked out great for Joseph, right? But God is not obligated to make only good things happen. Good things happen to you and me only, listen to this, only when it is according to God's will and purpose. Now, it is important for me to note that in the ultimate sense, everything ends up good for us, for believers. And that's, that's exactly what Romans 8 is 28 is saying. We know, that, we know that all things work together for good, and that good we know is all things work out according to God's will and purpose, for those who are, who are God's children, right? So for you and me, ultimately, no matter what happens to me in this life, I'm going to be with the Lord. And that's good. So ultimately, everything's going to work out great for me. But along the way, it might not be so peachy keen. So no matter what, it ends up good for us, according to God's eternal word, but in the temporal sense, we have no assurance of living in a rose garden. And I fear that far too many believers are, are misled by, by false doctrine. Far too many believers read this verse and, and, and use it the wrong way. And far too many believers are set up for great disappointment. And their life ends in bitterness. And, and they end up in, in turmoil because God failed to keep a promise. At least they believe he did, but he did not. He did not. God does work out everything in our life according to his will and purpose. And sometimes that will and purpose may not be too nice. It may not be what we consider good. So, with the time that I have tonight, and I want to be brief... Allow me to share some thoughts with you. Now, we all face hardships. We all, we all do. Everyone in this room. I, I mentioned in, in my Sunday school lesson a few weeks ago, we American Christians don't really know what suffering is. We really don't. We have no idea what it's like to suffer. We face hardships. And we face trials. And we face troubles. And we face disappointments. 
So when we do face these things, what should we do? What should, what should our attitude be? Whether, whether we are, 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 in, are experiencing happiness and, and joy and prosperity, or whether we are, are experiencing hardships and disappointments and, and, and poverty, whichever end of that spectrum we're on, if we're in the middle somewhere, things are going pretty good, and wherever we are, what should our outlook be concerning all the things that we go through in our life? Let me share some thoughts with you, and, and we'll be done. Number one, when you face hardships or suffering or when, when things are not going too well, number one, exalt the person of God. Exalt the person of God. Now I'm going I'm to ask you to turn to some scriptures as we make each of these points. So turn with me, if you would, to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. And look with me at verse 20. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. And we read here, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor, nor charged God foolishly. Now we know the story. The devil came to to, to God, and he was to accuse the brethren, and he came to accuse Job. He came to, to tell God that Job, Job fears you, and he worships you, because you've, you've put a hedge about him, and, and you've given him all these things, and he has no, no needs, and, and, and that, that's why he loves you. And, and he, he challenged God concerning Job. So God said, okay, go ahead and take all that Job has. Take it all. So Satan goes out and, and he, he, has a, he, he, he has a whirlwind come and the whirlwind burns down all of Job's crops and, and his fields are all destroyed and uh, marauders come through and they, 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 they murder his servants and they steal all of his, all of his sheep, all of his cattle, all of his, his goats and kids and all these things. He takes everything that Job has. And servants come running to Job and one comes and says, your fields are burned down. And another arrives at the same time and says, someone came by and stole all your sheep. Now, now understand, in Job's day, your, your crops and your animals were your wealth. That's where your money was. So Job loses all his wealth. In, in one swoop, all of his wealth is gone. And his children are all together in one home and and an earthquake happens and the walls fall in and the house falls and kills all his children. And at the same time, he's learning about his crops being destroyed and his sheep being taken. Someone comes in, a servant comes in and says, all of your children have just died. That's, that's some pretty bad hardships, isn't it? 
I mean, how'd you like to come home, walk through the door one day and tell your wife, uh, you know, the car burnt up, it's out there in the street. Uh, someone stole our identity and took all our money out of our bank accounts, our retirement accounts, we're broke, we're penniless, and our children are all dead. That would be, a, that would be an awful lot to handle, wouldn't it? But what did Job say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job, Job's faith, his happiness, wasn't tied up in his crops. Job's joy and peace wasn't tied up in his wealth. It wasn't even tied up in his children. I'm sure he loved his children. But you see, Job understood that the will and purpose of God was first and foremost in his life. And Job understood that God loved him and that God only allowed the things in his life that God wanted, wanted him to have. And Job understood that this hardship was according to the will and purpose of God. And he said, the Lord gave and the Lord took it away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. God is righteous in all things. We need to remember that. In a human sense, we might think Job had a reason to be bitter. He lived for God, and, and, and even God stated that he eschewed or, or hated evil. So on the surface, we might look at this and say, well, this just wasn't fair. This was unjust. And I've, even had, I've even had people tell me that. I, you know, I just think God was unfair with what he did to Job. But remember this, God did not redeem my temporal life. Did you hear me? When God saved me, he did not save this flesh. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It is appointed unto men once to die, the Bible says. And after this, the judgment. This flesh must be destroyed. God is not redeeming this flesh. He's not saving this flesh. He's not saving my temporal life. All the wealth I can amass in this life, all the goods I can possess, God is not interested in those things. None of those will, will He take with me. Oh, it's so important we understand that. This temporal life and our flesh are only important to us. In fact, the Bible tells us that God rejoices at the termination of this life. In Psalm 116 and verse 15, we read it in our congregational reading this morning. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Listen, we, 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 we base goodness in our life based upon what's happening, but you, you need to understand, God is not interested in those things. 
He he didn't redeem your flesh. He didn't redeem this life. Matter of fact, this earth is going to be what? Destroyed. He's going to destroy this earth and create a new one. God's not interested in any of these things. You see, God wasn't concerned with Job's temporal happiness. He wasn't concerned with Job's flesh. He was concerned with his own will and purpose. He was concerned with stopping the mouth of Satan. And Job was the tool that God used in that moment to glorify his own name, and Job had the right attitude. He didn't become bitter. In fact, he didn't even feel sorry for himself. He simply praised God. So when you and I face hardships, we need to, as Job did, we need to see that God is working out His will and purpose. And whether it means good or not good for me is irrelevant. Because ultimately, I, will, I am redeemed and will be in the presence of the Lord. So if this temporal life must be consumed in order to fulfill the will and purpose of God, then blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God and exalt His holy name when those hardships come, when we face difficulties. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't stand there and think, well, I deserve better than this. Be like Job. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know it's difficult and hard sometimes. We, we lose loved ones. and I've had people come to me and say, how can God possibly let a child die? Because God is not concerned with that child's temporal life. Where do you think that child is when he dies? That baby is taken to the presence of the Lord. And God isn't concerned with the temporal life. And by the way, just as an added, it isn't God that killed that child. It's sin. It isn't God that, that, that does all the things in this world. It's sin in this world that causes all of these terrible things. But when we face these hardships, exalt the name of Christ. Exalt God. Number two, when we face hardships and difficulties, what do we do? Employ the principles of God's Word. Employ the principles of God's Word. I'd like for you now to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Let's all turn together. Book of Daniel. And let's go to chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 and beginning at verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. <laughs> And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. 
and the king fought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. That's a very interesting statement, isn't it? If we're, in other words, they said, if we're going to get, if we're going to get Daniel, we're going to have to find some way to trip him up in in his law of God. That's how that's how devoted Daniel was to the Word of God. Daniel was preferred, the Bible tells us, because of an <laughs> excellent spirit. In other words, he had a good attitude. And he had a good attitude because he lived by the Word of God. The Bible gives us two incidents where Daniel refused to take the safe road and and chose rather to obey biblical principles. Now don't lose Daniel chapter 6, but turn to Daniel chapter (coughs) 1. Excuse me. Turn to Daniel chapter 1 and look at verse 8. We read here, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now this is referring, of course, to the Jewish dietary laws. And and the food that Daniel was given to eat, he refused to eat it because it would violate the word of God. And Daniel was not going to defile himself with the king's meat. I could park right there and preach for for, for years. Daniel refused to dine on on the king's meat. How many Christians are there tonight who dine off the world's provisions? Who who push the the principles of God aside, and feast on the world. We all know people like that. But before we get too puffed up, we, we do the same thing at times. Every one of us in this room is guilty at times of, of laying aside the principles of God's word and, and doing what our heart desires. But Daniel, the Bible says, had an excellent spirit. He refused to defile himself. Now turn back to Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> and let's go to verse 10. Remember in verse 5, these, these wicked men said, we're going to have to find some kind of way to trip this Daniel up uh, <clears throat> by God's word. Well, they found a way. They found a way. They knew that Daniel prayed every day to his God. Three times a day he prayed. So they went to King Darius and they they, they puffed up his pride and said, Oh, King, you're the greatest, you're the mightiest, you're the best thing. All the women swoon when you walk by and all the children love you and all all the men love you. And they said, You know, Darius, 
You ought to pass a law that says no man can make a petition to any god except you. And Darius liked that. He liked the sound of that. So he, he put it in writing and he signed it. And it was a law according to the Medes and Persians, which meant it could not be broken, even by the king. Now in verse 10, look at verse 10. We see, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Now, Daniel, as Job, he could have become bitter because of his situation. But he didn't. He understood that God's will and purpose are more important than his own comfort or happiness. He, as Jesus did, accepted the path that God laid before him. And he made his decisions based upon biblical principle and not upon situational ethics. Regardless of the personal consequences, Daniel did the right thing. No matter what the price he would have to pay, and he knew the price, by the way, he knew that the punishment was to be cast into the den of lions. Daniel said, then throw me in. But he would not disobey his God. Now, as with Job, Daniel was delivered from the wrath of King Darius. We all know that. (laughs) But again, his deliverance was because it was in accordance with the will and purpose of God. Do you understand that? Yes or no? Okay. God delivered Daniel from the lions, but because it was the best, because it was in accordance with his will and purpose, not because it was best for Daniel. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace because it was what was best according to his will and purpose, not because he was trying to make Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego happy. He, he delivered Joseph from the, from, from Potiphar's home. He delivered Joseph from the prison, set him on the throne of of Egypt, made him second in the kingdom, and provided for all his children. Why? Not because it was good for Joseph, but because it was according to his will and purpose. God delivered Job from the the heap of of the garbage pile and, and cleaned his body and took away all the disease and gave him back his crops and gave him back his sheep and goat tenfold, as a matter of fact, and gave him back his children. Gave gave him ten new children. And he did all that because it was according to his will and purpose, not because it was best for Job. Oh, we, we have to understand this. God worked these things out to show King Darius and his evil governors his might. And his power. Job was delivered to show Satan the righteousness of God that, and, and, to, and to justify God's own actions according with Job so that God could not be accused of favoritism. 
But we could point to countless hundreds of thousands of martyrs who died for the will and purpose of God. Was God unfair to all of those people? Was he unrighteous in all of those stories? No. Their deaths were in accordance to the will and purpose of God. Any of these martyrs could have, could have spared meeting death simply by denouncing the Lord himself, but they would not do so. They met death employing biblical principles in the face of their trials and hardships. And when you and I face difficulties, we shouldn't look for God's deliverance. Now don't misquote me there. Let me finish my statement. Our primary concern shouldn't be our deliverance. It should be that we are capable and able to fulfill the will and purpose of God in that hardship. Be it by our deliverance or be it by our death. Be it that we continue to, suffer, to heart, face the hardship, and, and I lose, use the term carefully, to suffer for, for years on end. Never accusing God wrongly, never, never believing God unjust or unfair, never believing we don't get what we de- that we didn't get what we deserve, but rejoicing in, in, in the fact that we are able to be used to, to further God's will and purpose, accepting what He gives us, exalting His name and employing biblical principle, doing what's right according to God's word. And then thirdly tonight and lastly, what do we do when we face these hardships? Do, as I said earlier, do we, do we just quit? Do we just give up? Do we sit down and say, ah, oh, I can't do this? No. We, we exalt the name of God. We, we employ the principles of God's word. And then thirdly, we embrace the promises of God. Embrace the promises of God. Turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's all go together to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look at verse number 6. We we see here the writings of Paul in verse 6. Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You see that? Paul is... He says he's ready to be offered. He was ready to face death. There was was going to be no temporal deliverance for Paul. Paul was going to lose his head. The sentence had been pronounced. The headman's axe was being sharpened and honed. And Paul was going to be dispatched. He had no fear. He had no fear 
because he believed God. See, God had promised in his word that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He promised that though we would face death, we will see eternal life. He believed the promises of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul writes, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul knew. He believed the promises of God, and he knew that he was secure in Christ. He knew that ultimately God would deliver him. Not in this temporal life, but in the eternal life to come. In fact, Paul desired to depart this life. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, he writes, For, for, me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But I live in the flesh, but, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, Paul didn't walk around seeking death. I mean, he, w- he didn't walk around hoping somebody would kill him. He wasn't looking to die, but he was ready to die. He had no fear of death. There was no ties in this life for him. He he understood and realized that while he's on this earth, he could serve God, but he desired to be in the presence of the Lord. He lived his life for the glory of the Father, and he sought to serve him at every opportunity, but he had no fear of death. He had no regrets. If God called him home today, he had no regrets. That's why he said, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul embraced the promises of God. He he held on to them. He clinged to them. I've told my wife, when, when I die... And I will. I'm not going to live forever. Well, I will live forever, but not in this body. Thank God, not in this body. But I told my wife at my funeral, I want the song, the song sung for me, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shores, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now, there are some things I really, I really love here on this earth. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. And the thought of leaving them saddens me because they, they'd lose the company with this great person that I am. No, I, I do feel, I feel sad that I would leave them, but I have no I, I, I would leave this, if God were to call me home tonight, I would leave this earth with no regrets. No regrets. And that's the way we ought to live our life. With no regrets. 
I've been, I've been blessed by God. I, I have a, a wonderful, loving wife who cares about me and who has put up with me for 35 years. And believe me, that's not an easy task. I, I can hardly put up with myself most of the time. I've got children that love me. They're not perfect. And if you want to find faults in them, you can do so very easily. But you know what? They're mine. And I love them. And I always will. I have the two greatest grandkids that ever walked the earth. I'm sorry, yours are not as good as mine. Sorry. I've been privileged to serve God for 35 years. 35 years ago, if you'd have told me I'd, I'd have done all the things I've done over the last three decades, I would, I, would have, I would have never believed you. What a privilege it's been to serve God, and I have no regrets. Paul was ready to be offered. He, he said, God, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. I've got no regrets. And that's the way we ought to live our life. There are many, I fear, who, many of God's children who will die this, and leave, depart from this life with regrets. Regrets for the work they left undone, regrets for the compromises they made in their life, regrets for the failures to glorify God when they had a chance. Regrets, regrets, regrets. Will this be our testimony when we stand before the Lord? Will we stand and face him with, with a list of regrets for things we could have done, things we should have done, but we didn't do? You see, Paul embraced the promises of God. He knew that he could depend on the Lord. He knew that God would not forsake him nor leave him. And he knew that this life was not his final destination. Tonight I implore all here to examine your attitudes concerning all the things we've discussed today. All the, the, the things concerning the mind of Christ and the things tonight concerning the will and purpose of God. And, and I know that there are so many more things I, I could have and probably should have said. But as I said this morning, what say ye concerning the word of God? Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us here in this room tonight would, would understand that what's important here is not our happiness. It's not our comfort. It's not our joy. What's important here is your will and your purposes. And Lord, I, I, I pray that we would face every day and every event in our life understanding that this temporal life is unimportant to you. It, you're, not, you're not here to redeem this earth. You're not here to redeem this temporal life. You're not here to redeem this flesh. And, and Lord, you, you don't put any importance in these things other than that they be used to glorify you. So help us to have the right attitude, to, 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 to think right concerning these things. Help us, Lord, in, 
in our hard, in times of hardship to exalt your name, to employ biblical principles and do the right thing, and to embrace the promises that you've made that you will redeem us unto yourself. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've left to teach us and instruct us. I pray you bless us tonight, and I pray that we would go forth from this place with a desire to live for you. And Father, that we would glorify you in all things that we do and say. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.